<laughs> Welcome to This Believe Land is Your Land. Uh, I'm your host, Josh Finney, and this week, again, we are joined by Mike Frucka and John Kelsima. How are you doing, guys? Fantastic. Doing great, man. I'm, I'm super hyped that we are, are now plotting a line. We now have a couple shows in a row. We're inexorably moving towards the season. This feels like the first real week of football of the offseason. This feels like the first like 2019 real week. I know we had the Hall of Fame game last week, which, if you squint, looked a little bit like football. But this week with the first preseason game, I feel like we'll get our first cogent action. And it's still going to be sloppy and terrible and a bunch of dudes who are going to be bagging groceries in a couple months. I feel like the first and fourth preseason game are always that kind of action. But it'll start to answer the questions that we can't answer based on training camp performances and we can't answer based on body of work. We'll have to see how these guys play together and on the field. And this time last year, you started to see some things break loose. So I'm, I'm... already irrationally excited for this game. It doesn't hurt that it's against the uh, DC professional football team of which I work (laughs) with many, many fans of, and I am surrounded by many, many uh, fans in the neighborhood of, and there's a lot of really positive expectations about that first preseason game and about what the uh, DC professional football team is supposed to look like this year. We even get to uh, witness the, uh, the comeback kid himself, Colt McCoy. (laughs) I noticed that you tweeted about that today. I still can't believe that for what feels like the billionth year in a row, Washington is really depending on him to fill a role. Whether Even if it's a backup, they love Crazy. Colt McCoy. They love Colt McCoy like we love our favorite t-shirts. They are all they are all aboard for what he is selling. Such a weird thing, too, with Colt, because it's like you would have thought after he got the shoulder injuries here and those kind of things that, you know, he's already not – very strong arm, (laughs) you know, might have uh, hit retirement early, but no, he is still in the league and there's still unreasonable expectations placed upon him by (laughs) some other city. So uh, it is just like a a weird reminder to see that pop up again on your timeline. Speaking of realistic expectations, I I really hope that we don't see a lot of our first team players. Uh, I know everyone's excited about the, you know, the first preseason action. I'm excited about it. But I'm more excited to look at the, the guys you know, further down on the depth chart to see how they're playing, see how they're stacking up. Because yeah. I, kind of, I have an expectation for how those, you know, those number one uh, slotted guys are supposed to perform. I think the preseason games are going to be especially important for our special teams as well, trying to see where and how well they finally do perform, if they are going to perform to a professional standard, <clears throat> kickers. But uh, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it, that, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I really, I really hope we don't see much of our starters, and we and we give them a rest um, up until maybe that that last game. Yeah, and for the first year, we really don't need to watch preseason games to understand how schemes are going to work. We know what Wilkes is going to run. We know how he's going to run this defense and what kind of personnel groupings he's going to use. He's telegraphed that very clearly, and we know what Freddie Kitchen's offense looks like. And obviously, that'll be a little different with uh, Todd Munkin adding his flavor to it, but. The combination of being a little bit more settled, having a group of skill players that are that are going to their second year operating the same offensive concepts, combined with the fact that you don't really see legitimate offensive game planning or defensive game planning in the preseason anyway, it leads me to, to completely agree with you on that. I, I, it's not that I want everyone to sit necessarily. It's that there just really isn't a whole lot of value that comes from playing your ones for any extended part of time. I'm sorry, Josh. I think you misspoke. You must mean Ken Zampezi's offense. i so i i I froze for a second when i read that because i know you guys have have lived through 
multiple decades of being a Browns fan. And this kind of off-season storyline is not uncommon. This, this is very much a Jason Lockhamflora piece that comes out about this time of year, every year. And that's not where it came from this time. But this is the, the type of piece that we're used to reading about in the early days of training camp and in preseason, that, that somebody, that there's power struggle or somebody's taking credit for somebody else's work. There's part of me that was like, is, this, is there an element of truth in this? Did Ken Zampezi actually put his foot his footprint on it? And and then I shrugged it off and I laughed about it. But then Freddie's press conference today was really strange. I don't know if if you guys felt the same way, but I thought his way of addressing it, I think it really caught him flat footed and caught him off guard. I'm sure that there, you know, like many things that come out like this, I'm sure there's a shred of truth, right? I'm sure that there is a sliver in there that uh, that isn't just bitterness from Bob Wiley. Mm-hmm. but the idea that the guy that, you know, on the other hand, okay, the, the idea that the guy that we watched almost get marooned, uh, you know, in Cincinnati. Full-scale okay, mutiny. I mean, the, the yeah, term is, of course, full-scale mutiny. Right. I mean, like, that's, that, that's what happened <laughs> in Cincinnati. Anybody that watched that train wreck that was those, like, I don't even know how long he lasted. What did he last, four games? It was something incredibly short. It, it wasn't was. a half season. I want to say it, it was six or seven games, but it was definitely not a substantial amount of time. And whatever it was, it was a, a disaster. It was some of the worst offensive football I've ever seen on a team that wasn't devoid of offensive talent. Yeah. Uh, so, like, you know, while I'm sure that Ken Zampezi had plenty of great ideas, I'm sure there was, like, the shred, I'm sure he was right in there with them, giving them some good stuff to work with. Like this idea that Zampezi was the the brain trust that created the last eight games of that season. I'm sorry, I saw him perform as offensive coordinator with the reins with good personnel, and you're not going to sell me that bullshit, okay? <laughs> so, no, I'm sorry. Like, you know, yeah, sure. Like, you know, it's natural for a Browns fan to, you know, have that in the back of their brain and maybe worry about something like that. But we actually got a pretty good sample of here's Ken Zampezi with the reins. Here is Ken Zampezi as part of some kind of a team here of which we do not know like his exact role percentage wise, but I'm pretty comfortable saying that there was, there's some truth in there and it bothered Cody Kitchens for sure. But no, I'm not, uh, I'm not buying into Bob Wiley's version of the events. I have two superficial thoughts about this whole thing. I'm not, going to immediately jump to conclusions and assume that there isn't a shred of truth in it because there probably is. He probably did have a, an impact on the, the way the offense performed going down the stretch. But two things I think are true. First thing is Bob Wiley is a Muppet and a caricature of a, an actual coach. Like he's been around the league for a really long time. And I'm sure at some point during that career, he was a very effective offensive line coach. And I think the stretcher, the stretching truth or nonsense and like the, you need to block like a baboon and, Oh, uh, and and run and, and and run block like a rhinoceros. Like I think all that's a little overblown and ridiculous. I'm sure at some point he was a very effective coach. Joe Thomas thinks a world of him. I have absolutely no need to take anything that Bob Wiley says as gospel. In anything, there is not a outside of like maybe fancy foreign car maintenance. There is literally nothing in my life that I need more Bob Wiley in. And and this is definitely like team construction. If if you're looking for Bob Wiley to tell you how to construct a coaching staff, then I, I have really bad news for you. Second thing is that coaching tenures in the NFL are really short. And if Ken Zampezi was a crucial cog in the engine that made the Browns look so good going down the stretch last year, I doubt tremendously 
that Freddie Kitchens would be so willing to jettison him just because he's a strong personality, just because he has Great some point. He's not going to get point. rid of someone who's going to help him remain in the driver's seat of this team. He knows that if this thing goes south quickly, that the first thing people will look at is, why did you hire a guy who's never even been a coordinator in the league? Like, it is, it is his team to lose right now, and he has all of the cards. He holds all of the control in that coaching staff room. He, he wouldn't just get rid of somebody because they have strong personality. Or at least that's the, the favorite. And that's a quarterback advice. coach, right? That's a quarterback right. coach. Right. That's a guy that you would absolutely maintain continuity if you thought that it was good for the team. So that's an excellent point, Josh. I think that's probably the strongest point that I've heard to date for that not being the case. That's a really good point. I wholeheartedly agree. I just want to add in, in the press conference today, Freddie mentioned as much. He wants this staff to be his staff, and he knows that this staff is going to help toe the line with him no matter what, and they're going to be all in, and he can count on them for those things. And you've got to wonder, obviously, the relationship and the ties back with Hugh Jackson, with Ken. He may, he may not have had that feeling with, with him, and so that's his call. Yeah, and Unless I remember that Bob Wiley found out that he was fired through his daughter, and there is an extra heaping assault there. Sure. Yeah. And it's not even a legitimate self. From what I understand, he was in the hospital. Yeah. Um, and wasn't like, it wasn't, it wasn't like he was frantically refreshing his Twitter feed like we do all through camp. He was, you know, laid up. He'd been out of the facility. He'd been away from the team for a really long time, in season and out of season. So it wasn't like they just chose to blindside him with the news. I think that there was probably some circumstances there. And it is what it is. And it's not like Freddie Kitchens is scared of strong personalities. He hired the offensive coordinator from one of the best passing offenses in the league last year, a guy who had already had the position and was already considered like a soon to be head coach. And he hired Steve Wilkes who literally just was a head coach and was considered one of like the rising star coaching talents before that train wreck in Arizona last year. So it's not like he didn't, it's not like he got rid of everyone who would be a dissenting voice in the locker room. It just, it is what it is. It's, it's, to me, it's, it's a non-story unless um, it's a non-story as it stands right now. Speaking of stretching true thing uh, is very interesting in camp is that the Browns really went into the season with an idea of how they were going to structure player time off and how they were going to keep bodies fresh and healthy. And it just seems like none of it kind of matters right now. The report that came out today was something like 19 players were unavailable for practice. You saw a lot of that at the orange, uh, orange Brown scrimmage uh, scrimmage in big air quotes. I'm not sure if the Browns are just getting bit by some injury luck or if they are being really cautious with some of their players, but it seems like, Right now, it's just a mash unit, like it always is in camp, but we got we just got to that place a lot earlier this year than we usually do. I don't know how much you really can control that. Like, it's nice to think about it in terms of these guys have been focused on learning the science of that and trying to figure out how to limit these soft tissue injuries. But mm-hmm. I think ultimately, you can only do what you can do. And, like, the, there's a certain – a large percentage of that that is just it's going to be what it's going to be and so right. it's not you know what we do know is that the browns have their eye on that they care about it and they're doing things that they think are helping with that you know outside of that i just think that it's probably just a little bit of bad luck in that regard personally yeah i mean it's it's football it's not a matter of of if but just when it's going to happen and you can't eliminate the risk. You can just mitigate it and do things to try to help, you know, insulate yourself from it, but it's going to happen. And hopefully a lot of these things are precautionary. Uh, it sounds like a number of them sort of are and, and were, but Freddie Kitchens also mentioned that they've been going really hard in camp. Mm-hmm. So 
I think that's, this is just a byproduct of that people's bodies getting used to it again, getting back in the, the rhythm of maintaining it. And again, hopefully nothing, uh, nothing serious lingers. And it's, to be honest, it may be a little bit of a benefit because the people that are getting the most playing time right now are the people that are actually fighting for roster positions. If you sit guys like OBJ, Landry, the starting defensive line, Baker Mayfield in game one, now you're giving an opportunity for the guys that are behind those roles that really do need to carve out playing times. There are positions on the Browns roster that are completely set right now. You can basically write them in in pen for who's going to play what on opening day. There may be a special teams player slotted into those positions. I'm talking about safety, cornerback, that that haven't been decided yet and will be decided based on playing the preseason and special teams play. But for the most part, there are some positions that are completely set. Giving reps to Derek Willies, to Jalen Willies, to Price, to Coley, to Chad Thomas. Now you're starting to sort out some of those spots that still do need to be decided, still need to be ironed out. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing you're seeing great stuff from Mac Wilson. You're seeing great stuff from Taki Taki. There's some questions for both of those guys that you need to really discover and and understand in live game action. So that'll come in the preseason. Even Sheldrick Redwine, same thing from the rookie class anyways. You're going to see that along the offensive line especially. Guys are getting opportunities and will get opportunities so to your point, it's an advantageous thing for that depth, but obviously we just want to make sure that that, that front end, that, that front tier of talent is just precautionary. One thing I do think is interesting today, uh, I saw you fist popping and getting excited about Derek Willies um, because you, you do that literally every show. Anytime we talk about Derek Willies, you, you freak <laughs> out. You are going to be, uh, you're going to be able to the number one uh, fan, number one supporter tag. If he ever breaks into the big time and becomes a big day receiver, you can, you can literally say, I was a guy. <laughs> trumpeting his arrival from from day one um, heck yeah i think it's i think it's amazing <laughs> that he and strong appear to be the next two guys in the shoot when the the starting three take a rest and we still aren't hearing anything about antonio galloway some of our twitter listeners uh shouts out to you cody we're asking if that's kind of by design at this point if they are just really intending for him to be a backup i don't understand it at all i do understand that he showed up a little, uh, a, l- a little soft looking, a little Michael Bublé around the edges, but it's it's shocking to me that he hasn't managed to find more playing time with with the time missed in front of him. It is very noteworthy, and I think the emergence of of our boy Willies, who can play in in both spots, sort of gives him the the advantage right now. Versus you know, uh, Callaway's got to play more on the outside, so it, it's it's very it's very. It's a head scratcher. I'm not, I'm not really sure why they're not playing him more. I'm not sure if it's just truly because he's out of shape or if there's something more behind the scenes. Obviously, he came into the league with some baggage, but his his talent was and, and is exceptional. It's just a matter of if we'll really understand or, or maybe Matt can come on and help us understand here in a bit why this is happening with him this year. If I had to guess, like I think there's a, an element of teaching him a little bit of a lesson for showing up uh, out of shape. Uh, you know, these guys underneath him are guys that are new coming in, that they were scrapping and clawing for a roster spot. So I doubt anybody below him actually came in out of shape. So I think there's an element of lesson teaching happening right now with him. And I think that we might see some of that being played out in the media where you don't talk about him much uh, and those types of things. But, you know, it was on brand, I think, for him to show up a little bit out of weight. But the good <laughs> news is that he didn't run – he didn't, you know, he didn't run any trouble, trouble, like, you know, with uh, with police or anything like that this offseason. That's good news. Yeah, we know that. Right. 
uh, so far. And it's surprising, but it's not, he's so young. He's so damn young still, you know, I mean, he's a kid and we'll see how that plays out. And like we were saying last show, I think he's still on track to have that impact of, uh, of doing those vertical threats for this offense. I don't see any of that off the rails right now. I think that's all still there. It's just him showing up out of, out of shape and, uh, that the way that they're treating him, I think, makes all this make a little more, more sense. His his ability is still there, and he'll get there eventually. I think it will. I think it will all eventually make sense. I think that when we talk about this five weeks from now, with like this, will all be much clearer. I think. Great. I think by the end of Thursday night, we're going to find out that his punishment's going to be to play the whole first game <laughs> every snap. <laughs> Let's not be ridiculous. Like, <laughs> Like I another stark, another another stark contrast between last season and this season. It's 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 crazy. It's ridiculous. I can't imagine a coach doing something that ridiculous. Speaking of which, like I, there is a, definitely a part of me that is very sad that we, uh, after much consideration, did not get the repeat performance on HBO's Hard Knocks because <laughs> I would have loved to have the uh, just the contrast, you know. In further consideration for me, I'm really bummed that the rumors of Hugh Jackson being a front runner for that Cincinnati job were just from Mike Silver, um, because I would have loved to have recapped that twice a year, that for the at least the two games that we played against Cincinnati this year. I'm almost in a spot where like it that's like a thing you don't wish on your enemy type thing. Maybe if it was uh-huh. the Steelers, you know. But like the Bengals, I don't know if I even would have totally wished that to happen. But if it did. I'd be smiling. Yeah, so. Bengals fans. Are, <laughs> Bengals fans are pretty nice people. I mean, we're still they were still talking about Ohioans. They're, they're Kentucky Ohioans, but they're they're still Ohioans. And you're right. Amongst the fan bases in the AFC North, they are the ones that you can bring yourself around to feeling a little bit of sadness for. I remember I had two close friends who were Cincinnati fans. They grew up just outside Columbus, and they just happened to fall that way. Um, which I understand, given the age range of, of the people in question. It wasn't a fun time to be Browns fan, so I don't begrudge them following Cincinnati. But they'd come over, even during years where Cincinnati was winning, you know, eight to ten games a, a season and were much more respectable. They'd come over, and they had the same kind of sense of doom and gloom that we do, talking about, like, <laughs> one in 15 seasons, because they just knew. They knew that they, they had a team full of knuckleheads on defense, and they knew they had Andy Dalton, that quarterback, and not a single Bengals fan I've ever met is out talking shit about Andy Dalton's skill set and about how he's going to lead them to the promised land. It's always just kind of an inevitability. It's, it, it would be like the way Ohio State fans talk about JT Barrett, but minus the NFL-level talent surrounding him every year. <laughs> so I, I, I missed Baker's chug-off at the Indians game by one day. I was at the game on Friday in which they beat the brakes off the Angels. I know I should be more specific than that because they beat the brakes off the Angels for three straight days. But – I just missed all those antics. And I am shocked personally that it took us this long of quarterbacks chugging at uh, other sporting events for their, for their favorite team for, for Baker to get involved in it. Cause he said day one, when he saw the Aaron Rodgers and the Patrick Mahomes video, he was just like, Oh yeah, yeah this is going to happen. I'm, I'm definitely like, this is great. It is definitely, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm shocked. It took this long. I am not shocked that he had the most memorable of all the chugs <laughs> amongst the quarterbacks. Man, that was it was amazing. The dude, I mean, first of all, he, he caught a full beer and then bit into it. That's the part that I didn't really, you know, recognize until after <laughs> the fact. It's, it's super dangerous. That. That's really dangerous. Right. 
Like I thought it was cool when I could like open a beer bottle with another beer bottle, like at the beach. I thought that was a cool thing. Like, but being able to just a puncture uh, an aluminum can with your with your teeth and then crack it open on television, and it was just it was it was so badass. Imagine if Hard Knocks was there filming that. I, I don't know. It was just it was such a cool token of remembrance that this is a totally new era that we're in right now, and we just need to soak it in. Yeah, and uh, you know there was a there's an element for those of us old enough to remember Teen Wolf, you know, where <laughs> it felt a little Teen Wolfish, where he just like goes off and grabs that, it's so smooth and just nails that whole thing. Like, I don't know, man. You know, it's like, it's a small thing. Like when you just think about it in the abstract, oh yeah, your quarterback just, you know, he, he tried to court, uh, a beer on TV at the Indians game, big deal. But it felt bigger than that. And of course, Baker, makes everything bigger like that so uh it wasn't surprising to me but i was hyped man and you give me don't get me wrong i was like well in the bag by the time i saw that video that night so i was hanging out with my brothers but uh it was just like yes like and i just like keep harping back to there being a time where people doubted that this was the guy for this team and it's just like no like so clearly this is the right choice for this team. I don't care how things end up a, a decade from now. There is no way that you can sit here right now and tell me that Baker is not the right dude for this place at this time. All right. Oh, hell, hell yeah. He's the guy. <laughs> hell yeah, he is. And you know what? This is an interesting point I'm, I'm thinking of here in the background is that Baker's allowed to be Baker. And I feel like these players on this squad are allowed to be themselves. And that, I mean, if you can show up to your job every day and just be comfortable in your own skin and you don't feel, you know, any sort of like burden or any sort of restrictions on who you are and what you do, it, it helps you just be yourself. And, and, and that's a big deal. And I think maybe that's a part of what Freddie was alluding to today when he mentioned it was the players. It was the players. It wasn't the coaches. It was the players. The players finally felt like they had a coach that understood them. The players finally felt like they had a guy let them be themselves. And that translates onto the field. And I think, anyways, it's a long way of just saying that it's great to see players comfortable again being in Cleveland Browns and being just who they are. I'll tell you what, I was actually thinking about that earlier today because I was trying to express how different it is for a lot of these guys. I, I saw the video of Odell Beckham uh, jumping out of the car and signing the guy's Odell Beckham license plate. I don't know if, if, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, it's great. It's a, it's a feel-good moment um, seeing OBJ dapping up a couple younger people and, and hugging the, the young lady, I think, that owned the car. It was, it was awesome. It was cool to see. And these guys are having a good time. You see it. In Miles Garrett with the Dragon Ball Z visor, you see it in Demarius Randall and his Friday Chris Tucker and Ice Cube visor. Like they're having a good time, they're chatting each other on social media. You see them out and about doing things with each other. Landry and OBJ are just beyond excited to be on the same team together. And Baker is the the Pied Piper of that group. It, I, I hear what you're saying. This is a group of people that are comfortable in their own skin, and as long as we provide them enough in coaching of the correct ways to go about doing business, you know, get them on the right track, teach them that this is the way that things are done, clear up the mental mistakes part of the Browns game, that comfort in each other and in the system and the enjoyment of the team dynamic here, which you don't always see as much of the NFL levels you do in college can go a really long way for these guys. If you don't wear brown and orange, you don't matter. I love it. <laughs> it's a real thing. It's not just, it's not just, you know, hot air. I think everyone believes it. I'm stoked, man. I've never, I've never felt this, uh, 
as a fan, I never felt this hyped up and confident in, in my how, squad. How many times do you think drunk middle-aged dudes in the Muni lot at 10.30 a.m. are going to be slurring that line over like a burning trash can full of stuff. Like, <laughs> Hopefully an unending amount because I, I imagine that's what it'll be. It needs, everyone's <laughs> you know, going to feel the same way. If you don't wear brown and orange, you don't matter. Look at my new tattoo. <laughs> Look at this Baker Mayfield tattoo. It's been uh, brown and orange so it matters. Uh, <laughs> One last question from, from the listeners that I'm going to hit before we take a break and get Mac on the show for his uh, perspective. We talked a great deal about how the wide receiver depth chart is basically set. At this point, I think everyone's fighting over that sixth spot, and they're going to have to dethrone Ratley to get it. But we actually also have a, a good amount of tight end depth between the way that Farrell Brown played and the way that he and Baker seem to have uh, developed chemistry and with the addition of Demetrius Harris, who's also a big body, high-pointing, you know, athletic tight end. Do you think that the Browns will continue to kind of run that 12 personnel uh, base set? Or do you think that we'll, we'll see more or less usage out of the wide receivers in, in, in lieu of that tight end group? It's going to be interesting to see because we do have the, the melding of Freddie Kitchens and Todd Munkin. And we know Munkin liked his tight ends in, in Tampa Bay. They were able to rip off lots of big plays, big chunk yardage. And so obviously you expect to see some of that reconstituted this year within the Cleveland offense. We know Freddie liked to use the two tight end set to help Max protect Baker last year a lot. And that's going to be beneficial, obviously, if we are struggling on the offensive line. So I'm not really sure how that's going to play out. I think a lot of it's going to depend on how how well our offensive line congeals and meaning for those max protect situations. If we want to, you know, if we're able to, to just switch into an 11 personnel versus that 12 personnel for that max protect or, you know, something else. So I'd like to think that we're going to not commit to one way, shape or form of an offense, but really from a week to week basis based on matchups. And we've talked about this with the Wilkes defense and how they plan to do things, kind of have that same approach from the offensive side and just exploit the weaknesses, whether that be a linebacker or whether that be, you know, somebody on the outside. On that note, we're going to take a quick break, let our sponsors do their thing. And when we come back, we have a special guest coming to join our show for the second half. So welcome back. Thanks for for sticking it out through the ads. And uh, like a magician pulling a rabbit out of a hat, Mike Krupka has reached into the bag of people on the social that we love to chat with and has pulled Mac Robinson from the OBR out of the hat to join us. How are you doing today, Mac? Uh, I'm good, Josh. Uh, happy to be back on. I'm really excited and uh, love the work you guys do. Thanks, man. We uh, we were laughing <laughs> before the show about our, our seven listeners, but... Um, <laughs> We're really hoping that that um, you're such an internet celebrity that we get at least three or four more out of this <laughs> podcast recording. Um, well, I mean, I know I am one of your seven, so I mean, hopefully we're able to add a few more. <laughs> um, one of the big reasons that we wanted you to come on and join us is along with John, you're one of the people who attended the, the I'm, I'm using huge air quotes here, the, the scrimmage that we had on Saturday. <laughs> and you've been at training camp a whole lot. We want to know What's standing out to you? I know there's a lot of a, an echo chamber amongst the, the Cleveland media personalities uh, of what people are seeing because it seems like the fan base is pretty locked up about the things that they are focused on and fixated on. <laughs> Kickers. Um, but <laughs> so far up to this point, what, what, what has stood out to you through uh, a week and a half of camp and through that scrimmage? 
Well, honestly, from what I've seen, I I love what I've seen from that defensive line group that's really stepped up, in my opinion. And the last couple of years, so full disclosure, uh, the last two years I've been at training camp as well in 2017 and 2018, but I was just on the fan side this year. I'm on the credentialed media side of things. But the last two years, I had kept on seeing the fact that I see Trevin, or uh, yeah, Trevon Coley. Uh, at that three technique defensive tackle and I just kept on saying you gotta sure that up you gotta sure that up he seems like he's just a guy and seeing Sheldon Richardson play for those those few practices early on I I love what I've seen and he fits in so perfectly Um, so I love what I've seen on the defensive line and on top of that too the receiving depth on this team is pretty deep I, I love what I've seen obviously Everybody's going to talk about Odell. Everybody's going to talk up Jarvis. But I think Rashard Higgins is in for a big year. I really do. Um, and then Antonio Callaway as well really seems like he's somebody's going to have a little bit more of a niche role on this offense. But that's going to be interesting to see as uh, camp unfolds. Well, you're definitely speaking to the Higgins hive on this podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, we are, we are all for Higgins. We love Willies. I don't know if you know that, but we love Willies. But no, from like that. It, it, that's, that, that's why I said it. That. That's, that's exactly why I said oh, it like really? that. <laughs> no. So, what about? Uh, I'm curious from the defensive side. I think you're. You're. I mean, from what I've seen from my perspective, that's a huge area of need. We addressed it with Sheldon Richardson. He's one of my favorite players coming out of the draft that year. I think he was my top-rated defensive tackle. And I know the Browns have been buzzing a little bit about Daniel uh, Equale. And I was just curious, has he flashed? Have you seen anything from him? I know we need to see it in the preseason action still yet, but, you know, when the, the pads are on, everything is live. But any insight that you have about him? Yeah, Ekwale's been one of those guys who's really kind of been able to make his presence felt up the middle. Um, in addition to him, too, Devaro Lawrence has really been making a big impact, in my opinion, over the last uh, couple of practices as well. And really – I mean, seeing, seeing those guys, it seems like this defensive tackle group is actually a little bit more deeper than I expected. I mean, obviously, I know that you were on the big Michael Dogby train. Uh, I know you were a big fan of his, I know. Um, the conductor. I, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but for me, I, I think that they, they have pretty good depth overall. Like I said, Lawrence has really looked good. And even, too, I mean, a late addition, but uh, Tracy Sprinkle has also been coming in. Um, and he's, he's looked all right. I mean, it was day one of practice for him. So he's going to be somebody that I'm kind of keeping an eye on going forward as well. Weird thing that kind of bubbled up after the scrimmage was some talk about it, it going into and coming out of the scrimmage was the talk about the, the right guard. Is there any, I know that it's just been like kind of a weird, even rotation. And I've heard Kush described as the baseline as like the, the average play, uh, like the, 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 replacement player in baseball so to speak he's the guy that you have to outperform if you want the job and that uh callus has higher booms and busts and so does corbett is there anything that watching um those three play that stands out to you it really seems like they want corbett to win the job but he just isn't standing out to me at all um and even like like you say uh callus has really he, he's looked all right he's had some flashes here and there but I mean, honestly, Kush just seems like he's he's the guy right now. And to be quite honest, none of the three have really stood out to me. So it, it's really kind of the the best of a of a really weird situation, in my opinion. I'm I'm not the biggest Kush fan for for him playing, but I, I gotta say, when it comes to him, I mean, they really just want a good pass blocker uh, out there, and it seems like he's the best of the bunch. But Corbett has really. 
even when he's not necessarily playing at, at guard with that first team, he seems like he's taking a lot of the backup center uh, snaps, which has really been interesting to me. But he's just not sticking out to me at all, really. Yeah, that's somewhat of a concern. Obviously, we've we've been scratching our head on this show for a little while about him being so such a high draft pick and not really, again, you said, grabbing that opportunity and, and kind of making sure that we know that he's the guy. That's really concerning. That's that's it. I mean, there's no there's no other way to spin it. I'm a little worried about that. Uh, I, I'm I'm curious about your other your other statement though about Callaway as well. You said more of a niche niche role, and I know uh, Cody was asking us before the show, and we just discussed it in the earlier segment. How coming in out of shape, this might be a lesson that he's kind of being taught. Is it more of that from your perspective, or is it just he's not performing well and he's really only going to be used in very specific situations? Well, I think for him, and I made this comparison in one of the articles I posted up on the OBR too, but I feel like that this offense is an upgraded version for Monken of his Tampa Bay offense. So by comparison, he has uh, David Njoku as O.J. Howard. He has uh, Cam Brate last year, Demetrius Harris this year. Wide receiver-wise, he's got Odell as Mike Evans. He's got Higgins as that Chris Godwin type of role. And then obviously Jarvis Landry is a souped-up Adam Humphreys. But the other one is Antonio Callaway. They've really been utilizing him in that Deshaun Jackson type of role where he's only been pretty much exclusively been running either slants, drags, or just going deep. And so for him, it's a very limited route tree uh, for him that they've really been kind of utilizing him in. For me, it's it's been an interesting kind of camp for him. But at the same time, you want to talk about Boomer Bus? He's really been that way for the most part, especially even today. He had a few drops that just hit him right in the hands. And the other thing that I've noticed with Callaway is he just is not physical when it comes to him going up against corners and everything like that, too. And he just really struggles when it comes to press as well. And even Greedy Williams was actually playing against him pretty well so far today. I've heard that those kind of routes that you're describing Callaway running are what historically I know uh, Brendan Leister and Pete Smith were talking about it are the kind of routes that he kind of, he excels at already that when you ask him to run nuanced route trees were um, – you know, it, it's, it's all about precise routes, the, the curl routes and, and, and the short uh, uh, skinny post type routes, uh, sluggo type routes that he isn't, he doesn't have the polished footwork that you'd like to see on those kind of routes. But when you let him just one cut and go and, and just beat somebody with that raw uh, athleticism, that, that seems to be more of the, the kind of route tree that he excels at anyway. Yeah, I, I would agree with that for sure. And that that's the biggest thing is that because of the fact that his route running is not great, uh, his speed is what's going to win him nine times out of ten just because of the fact that he's, like I said, he's not that physical when it comes to him going up against corners. And yeah. so for him, it's all about getting him in open space and getting him moving. And once he's a he's a little bit like a, a, a – like a Ferrari a little bit on the field. You get that speed up there, and if, he's a, if you're able to get that to him in space, he's able to kind of carry that going forward, and he's dangerous in space. Sure. But that's the biggest thing is he's, he's just struggled to separate when it comes to that as well. Mike, yeah, who, think- is the, uh, who is the defensive player at the – I think it was the All-Star game that you said was a Ferrari but in double-decker bus form? Was that Montez? I said that it was Montez Sweat. That was my <laughs> – that was my analogy. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to unsee that now. Every time I see him on the field, I'm just going to be like, oh, double-decker bus on a Ferrari. Yes. <laughs> hey, that's to, coming to your TV on Thursday. <laughs> there you Very go. And, and, and to your point, Mac, I think I think Callaway had one of the fastest next-gen stat 
times on that touchdown catch during the uh, uh, Saints game. He, again, he's going to use his speed, and that's what I know I'm excited to see. It's just it's a little concerning for us as, as we were talking that he's kind of fallen down the depth chart, and some of people were suggesting that he may kind of be on the bubble. I, I don't know if that's true. I don't think you probably get any any whiff of that, but what, any thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I don't know about on the bubble. I would say that they, they would they would love to have him on a team, but – I also can say in talking with a couple of people too that um, he, there are teams that are that if the Browns were to listen, that they would absolutely be making that they would be making that call. They haven't made the call yet, but the thing is, is that I think that there are certain teams that are realizing that he can be had, and I think that while everybody wants to go ahead and before the camp started, he was anointed as a third receiver. I don't think that he has earned that yet. And to be quite honest, it wouldn't shock me if he ends up getting traded possibly. Wow. You heard so it here interesting. first. You heard yeah. it here first. That's, that's news to me. And in actuality, I think, John, if you and I go back into the, uh, the annals of this show over the summer, I had this discussion with, uh, with you about Callaway potentially being trade bait given the depth of wide receiver after we acquired OBJ. So it's interesting that, that you're saying that, that Mac. Because it's just if that would happen, I could see you know the Browns trying to get him in a package for some some other position of value that we need, uh, whatever that would be. So thanks for that insight, brother. It's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I I saved the best for you guys. <laughs> one, of, uh, one of the other seven listeners made a joke about um, trading wide receiver depth for offensive line help early in the preseason, and and my response to that was kind of a teams don't have a surplus of offensive line to trade away. I think the Zeitler trade is one of the rare ones that you'll you'll see out in the league. And also, he the, the receivers he was talking about were guys like Jalen Strong and Derek Willies. And every team at this point in camp thinks they have a Derek Willies. They think they have a <laughs> guy that they can turn around and, and kind of slot in and, and will do good things. Right now in Seattle camp, you, you are hearing mountains of praise for DK Metcalf being a, a critical part of their offense. And you'll find that most most teams enter week one of the season kind of playing with the the hand that they entered the training camp with. You you kind of knew going in who their top three guys were going to be, and they're still playing those top three guys. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. And and to your point too about Willie's, I actually he had he had a great catch. I don't know if you guys saw the video today or not, but he had a phenomenal catch. And not not even like some of us on the sideline, we weren't even sure if he made the catch or not. And then just seeing him come down with it, that was a Beautiful catch by Willies, but he's had a phenomenal camp. He's been one of the most consistent receivers, I would say. And the other one, too, that's really impressed me so far has been Jalen Strong. I did not expect much out of him, honestly, when they signed him. And just seeing what he's been able to do, and he seems like he's kind of coming with a, a different mindset, especially after getting cut by Jacksonville and Houston. But, yeah, I mean, he's really been fantastic. I'll tell you what, like I, I agree with you, and I uh, was there to see some of that uh, at the scrimmage this week. But uh, also, I would just make the quick point that I think that some of this is kind of like the point of Baker, where I think we're going to see better performance out of the three through, you know, in the number four through six receivers on this roster pretty consistently. Baker's, I think, is just going to make them look better than, uh, than you would expect them to. And so we can do these reclaimed projects like Jalen Strong and, uh, and, and things. Right, yeah, Rashard Perriman is exactly the uh, guy I'm thinking about. And I think these are the kind of guys you're going to see year in and year out that we're going to have on this roster because of what Baker's doing. 
So that was my only point. It's just uh, I agree 100%, but I think that it's kind of like the start of what we're going to see often from those number four to number six receivers, uh, hopefully for the next 10 years. As they say, a rising tide lifts all boats, right? There you Ooh. go. <laughs> yes. Now we're coming with the philosophical angle here on this. Yeah, I, like that. Your land. I didn't know we were getting yeah. warrior. I didn't know we were getting warrior poet Mike for this. Hey Mac, I got a quick question for you and then I'll turn it back over to Josh. Josh, I know you've got some questions, but uh, regarding the, the, the injuries, any, any word from the staff today or out of camp today about the significance of any of these injuries? I know, you know, we had Vernon down today. Duke's been down. Miles was down with a knee. OBJ was sick. Avery, Landry, uh, Larry Okunjobi, lots of guys, uh, lots of good, you know, uh, top of the tier guys injured. Any, any input on that? Um, I know Freddie was talking about the fact that OBJ just had uh, an illness today and that was kind of going hour by hour even. Um, but the, uh, but when it came to the defensive line, it didn't seem all that serious uh, to them really, uh, at least for right now. I- I'm not too concerned when it comes to the defensive line uh, injuries. Freddie kind of said that there's no days off that he said, I say that with air quotes, um, days off for the veterans, but he said they do get their bumps and bruises, everything like that too. So they were kind of given the, uh, the day to kind of rest a little bit. I'm really glad to hear that because these were the kind of injuries that you see kind of reflective of soft tissue injuries. And I know they've been grinding it and they've been going hard early in camp. And that's when you're really worried about that kind of thing happening. So it's good to hear, get some feedback that that may not be the case here. Yeah. And that's been the biggest thing so far. And he also mentioned too, uh, Duke Johnson should be coming back pretty soon. Most of the injured crew, as I call it, the Tour de Berea, uh, I, I think that uh, those guys should be coming back here pretty soon. So, yeah, not, nothing too serious in my opinion. Yeah, Damian Ratley needs to get on the field. I hate to be that guy, but he can't afford to miss actual preseason games, especially early. Because preseason game one and two is where you're really going to get a lot of burn. You're going to play a whole half. And if he doesn't come out and really put on some good tape, he's, he's going to lose his roster spot to one of these kids behind him. He's somebody who it wouldn't shock me if they try to IR him with uh, designated to return for later in the season, possibly, just to see if they can kind of stash him as a roster spot uh, and kind of get away with carrying him. Yeah, that would make sense. What about the running back situation? I know, you know, we've brought in a couple different, well, we brought in the, the guy from Ohio and, you know, he's got the build of a fullback and some good things were, were said about him in the scrimmage, but kind of what are you seeing from Dontrell Hilliard and some of those, uh, even did Ernest Johnson and some of those lower backs on, on the totem pole? Yeah, I, I love what I have seen from Dontrell Hilliard. And, and to be quite honest, he the what I've seen from him has made me comfortable with trading away a Duke Johnson and being able to have him fill in as that backup running back. Um, I, I love what I've seen out of him. Um, Dearness Johnson has really kind of surprised me because the the weight that he's kind of listed at and the kind of build that you'd expect out of him, he looks like he'd be a lot slower and more of the bruiser, but – He's still the bruiser, but he, he, has that, he has that little burst out of him, too. And even uh, a little bit, too, he got into a little bit of a fight today at, uh, at camp between him and uh, T.G. Sanko. So those two were kind of going at it. Sanko kind of got his face mask a little bit, ripped off the helmet, and Johnson wasn't having any of it. So they were kind of going back and forth. I, I really like what I've seen from the depth, and uh, A.J. Owlette is somebody who I, I actually really like as a possible fullback type of guy. And – I know um, he, he's he's very active on social media and everything like that too. So 
I know he sees everything uh, okay. that everybody. We need about. that warning. We need that warning, <laughs> especially Brown's Twitter at large needs the warning of the guy. You're the guys that you can't tweet at because they will come back. To- <laughs> <laughs> well, out of anything too, I, I know I had a pretty good angle of him catching a touchdown pass uh, last week. So I know he was retweeting all of that stuff. So um, uh, <laughs> nice. I know he sees all of that stuff too, but he, he's a good dude. He's a good dude. And, uh, he, he's a hard worker, especially too. And he really, he, he shows off that toughness too. And he looks like a fullback back there too. <laughs> <laughs> I like to see that. And I like to see the Browns, uh, fixating on more, uh, runners and, and blockers than receiving, uh, type running backs. I know that around the league there, there tends to be a little bit more of an emphasis on finding those guys that are more position versatile. And when I look at the, the guys that the Browns already have, and Kareem Hunt, Duke Johnson, and Nick Chubb. These are all guys that can that can get the ball in the passing game. So it's nice to see them working out guys that that, that fix it, feature to be more pure runners than than wide receivers, masquerades, running backs. Yeah, and you might even you might even see Alette become uh, Devalve's replacement if Devalve can't get on the field pretty soon in that uh, hybrid role. Yeah, I mean honestly too, um, when it comes to Alette too. Uh, the fact that, I mean, he was worked out as a tight end previously, and he's got a little bit more of that hard nose. And I, I know I'm going with the with the coach speak and everything like that, but the uh, <laughs> kind of hard nose and the grit that everybody likes to talk about too, he's, he kind of shows that, and he embodies what uh, Freddie's kind of looking for in that. Great, great. I, I, I wonder if at the end of the room they're just going to do a steel cage match with Orson Charles. <laughs> Anybody who wants to take his spot and just let them, like, hard nose it out. I want to see him go against Danny Vitale. I want to see those two go at it between how that, that would be a, a fun steel cage match. That's a guy that I'm really sorry. Didn't catch on because I really like the idea of him as like the super back that could do any of that kind of stuff. He really did have the skill set for it. And I'm, I'm kind of bummed that it never worked out. Yeah, I am too. Any, uh, any closing thoughts on uh, special teams? And, and I bring that up because that is the thing that we get the most questions about from all seven <laughs> of our listeners. And it's not just the kicking game, but it, it's been, it was so, so atrociously bad under Amos Jones that I think people are just really, really excited at the prospect of fundamental changes to it. And so, so far throughout, anything that you've seen or heard that would suggest that the special teams is approaching the season in a different way? Well, I, I will say this. Uh, a lot of times you'll see the kind of specialists and everything like that where you'll have those guys uh, like the Marlon Moore uh, where they'll be pretty much their roster spots guaranteed because they're special teamers. I have seen so many different players just be uh, not only on the, on the field, like on defense and everything like that. I'm seeing a lot of Greedy Williams on punt returns. I'm seeing a lot of these guys where, despite they might be the higher draft pick, they don't care. They're out there. They're playing special teams. And Freddie has made it a point. Every single day, you're going to see a good amount of special teams. And – the one that I will say, if he if he's able to knock down the the accuracy aspect of the game and also the holds, Jamie Gillen, I think he he's somebody that it would not shock me if they put him on the practice squad, uh, because he is somebody who he wows the crowd with punts, which is a rarity. <laughs> uh, so for him to be able to kind of wow the crowd with the booming punts that he has. And even um, the special teams coach, Mike uh, Prefer, I believe that's how it's pronounced, right? Uh, but um, he was even saying that you have Colquitt, who's kind of like the steady, the consistent, like you're going to get 40, between 46 to 48 yards out of Colquitt, and it's going to be exactly where you want it to be. And then he's like, then you got Jamie Gillen, where it's just going to go far. 
And <laughs> I, I remember one of the kicks, he actually outkicked the kick returner group that was standing back another five yards behind the kick returner. So he's been fantastic. But the kick returning group, honestly, has really been interesting to me, and I've been trying to follow that group along. Uh, punt returning-wise, you've seen Antonio Calloway back there a good amount. Um, I know everybody's been kind of talking up Odell back there too, but I don't know if he's going to get as much work back there because I don't think you need him to. Please um, don't. Yeah. <laughs> just, put it, just wrap him in bubble wrap outside of when he's on offense. Dowd's yeah. ears. Yeah, we're all making – uh, sorry, we're all making praying gestures right now on that line. <laughs> but the the other one, too, that I will say uh, has been Dontro Hilliard, too. He's really been back there for punt returns, kick returns. I think he's got a, he's got as good a shot of anybody to get that gig as well. Um, Antonio Callaway, he was back there today for a kick return, once again for a punt return, hit him right in the chest and just went right through the hands. And so it, that's been kind of the struggle that you've seen out of those guys. But the one that I will say I'm surprised about that I haven't seen get many kick return snaps has been Damon Sheehy Giuseppe. I, I have seen very little kick returns out of him. And they kind of had him a little bit up closer to the line of scrimmage in the punt formations, which really surprised me. I, I didn't really expect that out of him. I thought that they would try to utilize him as a kick returner. But, but yeah, I, that's been my main takeaway really with that. I want to get your take on the kickers as well, because this is obviously heating up into a pretty big battle. And over the weekend, I was talking, uh, I was on social media, obviously, and I was talking with Jake and I was talking with Cody. And I kind of came up with a question about what, what do the records look like for teams that have kickers in the bottom third of the NFL percentage, right? Mm -hmm. And so Cody just tweeted this out while we're in episode. And the winning percentage is uh, 41%. And there's only 36% with winning records and mm. only 16% make the playoffs. Wow. So mm. for, for me, I was, I was approaching this whole equation a little bit more like, ah, oh, it's not going to matter. We're going to have a high powered offense, but in looking at the stats, this is over the last three years at least. And you see teams with some pretty good records in there. Anyways, the point is that it, it really does matter. So from your perspective, kind of how is this shaping up and what does the team feel about the kicking situation right now? You hit the nail on the head there. I mean, it's really heating up. And, I mean, I, I'm sure that if it was up to the team, then Austin Cyber would have been – would be running away with this right now. But he, he's just had so many misses. And to be quite honest, he's, he's shanked a lot. The one thing, too, is that – so for, for people listening, at, at training camp, they have the VIP area where it's like the second deck uh, that's, that's behind, the one, behind the one field on the left back there. And so in that area, in that area, you can go ahead and have the fans up there. And there's been a few times where both Greg and Austin have, have shanked their kicks so much so that they avoid the net and the fans are getting a souvenir that they immediately have to give back to the, uh, <laughs> they, they immediately have to give back to the training crew because they, they give the fans a little tease of hope that they can get the ball and then they have to ask for it back. So, um. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's a it's a little carrot on a stick, but even still, the fact that they're missing so much, so that the fans think that they can get an award, they can get the ball back, is it's not great. It's not great, honestly. That's not what you want from your kicker, giving out yeah. souvenirs. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, the only kicker that I want a souvenir from is Pat McAfee, and uh, that's just because he does podcasting. What about Ray <laughs> but, Finkel? Ah, damn, you, you missed me on that one. This is what happens when you're not doing a podcast exclusive with other old people, Mike. 
Uh, see, and that's that's the other thing. I, I I know I said this the last time I was on here, but I also his uh, classmate was my teacher in high school. Yeah. So why I, why, I got, why you got to go say that when Josh is on? Now I'm never gonna you know live this down. I got to make sure that it gets out there, man. Come on. Spicy. Old man, Mike. <laughs> Spicy. Oh man. I know, Mac. We are we're very excited for preseason Washington Sports Club versus uh, the Browns on Thursday. And I feel like for the first time this season, we'll finally have legitimate data points with which to evaluate the team once those, once those pads start clicking against another team. So I'm hoping that on that note, we're able to bring you back sometime else in this preseason. We're able to talk story. And I hope that when we do, it's not with literally a third of the team uh, working on the side and that everybody's ready to go and everybody's moving towards an opening day start. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm super excited. and I'd love to come back on, man. You guys can have me on anytime. Awesome. Again, for all the folks uh, listening in, we're hoping to uh, have another podcast later on this week uh, as we go over some of the movings and shakings from training camp and also uh, to talk about the uh, preseason game one and what we learned from that. Until then, um, check out lots of uh, other great content on the web. Uh, Mac, would you like to, to plug any of your, uh, your network's podcasts here? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, I know that Jared Mueller does a great job with uh, the OBR Straight Talk. Um, and you guys can find all of his work and all of my work over at the OBR. Uh, you guys can become a subscriber today. Um, help me out. Uh, and you guys can find me on Twitter at Mac Robinson CLE. Yes, sir. And if you're not following him, what's the matter with you? Get on it. Go do it now. <laughs> uh, until then, folks, uh, thanks for dialing in. 